It's Radhika Jones, Editor-in-Chief of Vanity Fair. If you enjoy binge-watching the best TV shows and love hearing from the actors and showrunners who make them happen, then subscribe to Vanity Fair. Our Hollywood reporters take you behind the scenes of the year's most anticipated projects, the industry's biggest moves, and the hardest-fought awards races. From The Crown to The Real Housewives, we've got the inside scoop. As a special thank you to our still-watching audience, we're offering 15% off a yearly digital subscription to Vanity Fair. Visit VanityFair.com today and use promo code POD15. That's VanityFair.com, promo code POD15, for 15% off a yearly digital subscription to everything you want. Locate Dr. Ford for me. Send him a message, highest priority. Don't. After all, we've been down this road, 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 we've been down this road. Bring yourself back online. No one knows what I'm thinking. Tell us what you think of your world. This is just a cheap trick. Some people choose to see the ugliness in this world. The disarray. I choose to see the beauty. Welcome to Still Watching Westworld, an unofficial podcast about the HBO series Westworld. I'm Vanity Fair senior writer Joanna Robinson. And I'm chief critic Richard Lawson. Each week we'll break down the latest theories, baffling questions, and hidden illusions of season two, as well as occasionally chat with someone who has worked on the show itself. This week, we thought we'd cook up a little preview episode just to get our podcast on your radar and let you know that uh, why why we think this show is worth diving into. Uh, Richard, after, I don't know, 10 or 12 weeks or so of us talking about um, gay people dying on American Crime Story <laughs> Versace, what about, <laughs> what about a root and tootin' robot Western are you looking forward to? I'm, I'm looking forward to the, the, the theorizing. I'm very bad at theorizing because like I... Um, but I enjoyed doing it. Um, I wrote something um, when the first season aired. Uh, it was like I wrote the, a formal review, but then like kind of I think toward the end of the season, I wrote something basically saying that like Lost had sort of broken my heart in terms of this kind of television. Like because I, I really wanted it to be something that was satisfying and tied up all these loose ends. And I really don't feel like it did by the end. And so I sort of swore off um, really investing myself into um, this kind of like mystery show, but Westworld, like it got me and it, I found myself reading, um, you know, all these fan theories and whatever. And, but, you know, at the same time, I'm, I'm so dense that I was like, I, I never would have put it together that Ed Harris was also Jimmy Simpson. Like I, I like that. Like I'm, I'm so, so it'll be interesting this podcast because I feel you're very well versed in that kind of theorizing. Whereas I am more, I'm very engaged, but I'm, I'm, I have no idea, you know, how to like, form a credible theory maybe i will by the end of this podcast which is why i'm excited to do it <laughs> yeah i basically eat crazy fan theories for breakfast but um the westworld like lends itself particularly well to this kind of theorizing because like unlike some shows where i feel like fans have a tendency to lay theories on top of it that don't belong there i think game of thrones has certainly reached that uh stage of fandom uh, westworld the the creators jonathan nolan and lisa joy they're sort of actively courting this yeah. jonathan nolan himself is like a huge reddit user um and and has said that he loves watching the redditors sort of try to puzzle through everything so i don't think any of us would have figured out um the various twists and turns of 
season one without um, those those Reddit detectives, as I like to call them, on the case. Um, but m- some critique that I've heard of the show, and I'm wondering, I, I mean, it seems like you don't agree, but I think there are some people who last year, some critics got annoyed by the rampant theorizing because they thought it got in the way of some of the show's larger themes. And there are some people who think the show is nothing but twists and turns and surprises. Like, is that your feeling around Westworld at all? Um, no, I mean, I think that what what's so enge- what I found so engaging about the show, despite, you know, in the, the the first few episodes, you're like, oh, this is like bad. It's all this violence towards women. It's like sexual violence. It's, you know, it, it's so, it, and it seems to be kind of titillated by that. But I think that, you know, the show kind of addresses that stuff eventually. So I was able to kind of enjoy the show despite all that, that um, grim stuff. Um, and, and I, yeah, the twists are fun. I, I, I enjoy the theorizing. I don't think there's too much. I, I think that like, if they want to bait us on that stuff, as long as they deliver on it, fine. Um, but I think on a deeper level, the show really does prod at some interesting questions about consciousness and, you know, existence. And, um, and I don't think, I think that without that, I wouldn't really connect to the show as much. Um, but it's there. I think, that, you know, the acting is so good that the, the writing is, is alluringly kind of opaque sometimes. And, um, yeah, I think it's a really richly realized show on, on, on both the kind of fun fan theory way, but also as a kind of, you know, heavier piece of like prestige television. Because I'm a glutton for punishment and a and a, an annoying overachiever when it comes to podcasts, I just marathoned season one over the last like basically 72 hours, um, and watching it as a as a whole, um, watching it knowing every twist and turn, it really is an opportunity to soak in some of the themes. We talked about this when we covered American Crime Story: The Assassination of Johnny Versace. That like not every viewer or fan is going to have the opportunity to watch something a second time, but it really does like. Uh, allow you to dig into certain things. And I, and I really did feel with this rewatch that I did, um, that I completed maybe just a few hours ago, um, that there is so much there, there beyond the twists and turns. I do think sometimes the show gets like, uh, at least in season one, got a little, um, I, I don't know, lost in sort of hiding things from the viewer uh, in order to have that big reveal. I I think, I don't know, but I think season two, it's going to ease off that throttle a little bit. Um, and we will get to sort of go even deeper on some of this them- thematic stuff. Um, we know that we've got a lot of returning characters from season one. Obviously, uh, a few did not make it. R.I.P. Uh, Teresa. But is there any any is there any one particular story that you really connected to in season one that you're excited to see how it plays out in season two? Yeah, I thought that um, you know going into the show, I was like, okay, this is like uh, Anthony Hopkins, Jeffrey Wright, uh, Evan Rachel Wood, and I knew that Tandy Newton was on the show, but I didn't know what they were going to do with her. And they and and the first few episodes of the first season, you're kind of like, all right, so she's this madam at a brothel in this old west town like wh- okay what else and then when you kind of figure out that she like evan rachel wood's character is having her own kind of awakening i got very invested in the tandy newton um storyline um and her performance is amazing and uh you know she she's kind of become this sort of revolutionary figure in the in the, the world of westworld and so yeah i'm eager to see what they do with her because it's a great performance and um a kind of a compelling character that becomes uh, you know, 
sort of one half of a of a of a duo of 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 women you know who are kind of fighting against their oppression um in an interesting way uh, well I, I mean you know they're they're robots but they they're they're female robots or they're they're de- designed to be female um and I, and i think that that you know is an interesting way for the show to address and perhaps counter um some of the early criticisms it got for its kind of gender dynamic yeah, I, I was when I was rewatching. There's in season one, episode six. Um, Tandy Newton's character Maeve takes this tour of the facility, and she sort of really is hit in the face um, with the reality of her world and and these like human overlords and and what they're doing and how she's been programmed. Uh, it's a it's a silent sequence set to like a Radiohead cover, and uh, I like my heart started beating faster watching it. And I, I loved it the first time, but I was like, wow, this is so still so uh, enormously powerful based so much on Tani Newton's, uh, just her face. She gets no dialogue to sort of, um, communicate what she's feeling. And it's, and it's just so enormously powerful. Um, so yeah, I, I also am excited for, to see like what happens with Maeve and Tani Newton. I am also really excited about, um, Tessa Thompson's character because this is a character I don't know the whole story of what happened with season one. We know that they shot sort of half the season and then kind of had to stop and really figure out what they want to do and do a lot of rewrites before they finished out the season. I I think that's an accurate uh, description of what happened. Um, I don't think you can see the seams entirely, but I think the fact that Tessa Thompson's character, Charlotte doesn't show up, I think until episode six makes it seem like this was a later edition of like, you know, they, they kill off the Teresa character. They bring in the Charlotte character. This sort of feels like maybe we want to go in this direction in terms of representing our corporate overlords, which means to me that maybe, and I could be wrong, maybe they hadn't quite figured out what to do entirely with the Charlotte character in season one. But Tessa Thompson is such an interesting and nimble performer that I'm really excited to see what maybe a more focused version of that character will become in season two. Um, Yeah, because they kept like... people kept talking about how Tessa Thompson was going to be in the first season. I was like, all right, where is she? Like, you know, know. and then she finally showed up and I was like, okay. Um, But yeah, I think that she's, um, we've both seen the first episode of the second season. It seems clear that she's going to be a bigger presence on the show, which is exciting. Um, But speaking of, I mean, because you are, you are better uh, mired in this, in all the fan theorizing than I am. And I will, I will get there, you know, um, as this, we record this show. (laughs) Um, Yeah. what are you anticipating for season two? What are the big things? Like, I mean, we don't, we can get into the specific questions of the, of the storyline or, or if there are bigger thematic things, but like what, what, what's kind of coming down the pike for us, do you think? Well, what's interesting is that in season one, um, I don't know that season one had a subtitle when they released it, but they have since subtitled it the maze. And it's, you know, it's pretty clear that season one is sort of like this pursuit of um, this maze, which ends up being just like a metaphor for, I don't know, your mind and inner consciousness. Um, Season two is subtitled the door. And so um, there are ways in which, you know, if you've been following the, advertising very closely you already maybe have seen some references to this in terms of um like in some of the previews the young version of anthony hopkins character the the robot that is the young robert ford says stuff like in trailers he says stuff like you're in mind game now you're in my game now and find the door and stuff like that so it seems like you know if the maze if pursuit of the maze is the focal point of season one pursuit of the doors 
perhaps the focal point of season two. And just as with the maze, I anticipate it's not going to be a literal maze, but you know, a metaphorical door. But so I, I, I'm intrigued to see if that means like season three takes place outside the park entirely, or if they get out of the park at midway, I don't know the answer. I, I, I don't know a lot of what's going to happen this season, even though there are, yes, spoilers out there. I haven't really been reading them because I do think that theorizing is so fun. And so I'm going to try to like, as close as I can in doing this podcast, stay episode to episode, which is what I did in season one, so that I didn't like get ahead and and cheat theorize by like knowing what was coming. You know what I mean? So um, yeah, so I don't have any like insane theories yet based off of the one episode uh, we've both seen, but I I think that they have found interesting goals and conflicts for every character. You know, they, they took their time. They had a long off season. I think they really sat down with each character that they want to explore and say like, okay, what's what's the pressure point on this character and how can we put them in a situation where they're trying to grapple with that? So. Who's Who's your favorite character? I mean, it's hard to beat Maeve. It right? is, right? I mean, yeah. I guess I, as I was saying it, I realized I was like, that's a pretty conventional choice, Richard. Like, she's clearly like one of the most, you know, like the most exciting thing. But I I will say something that like really, I really appreciated on my rewatch of season one is um, James Marsden is doing like, you know, he's kind of, it's kind of got a thankless role. He's kind of like a little himbo-y. He's like a little... He's the hero, but also kind of the damsel. Like he's the girlfriend, right? And yeah, um, which is a great inversion gives, of a, you know, exactly. And he gives this great. There's this in the finale. There's this great moment where like Evan Rachel Wood as like a fully woke murderous robot comes up behind him and he's sort of standing there and he's like he's he's like bemused he's trying to figure out like what's going on and she sort of like wraps her arms around him and she's like don't worry teddy i know what i need to do you know like basically these violent delights of violence and she's got her you know evan rachel wood murder face on um which she does very well and he's just looking like so confused and handsome and slack jawed. And I was like, I love Marsden for this performance. I really do. I think he's so good in it. It's um, probably like, uh, it, it takes, it honestly takes a knack to look like that kind of gormless as he do- often does on the show. So um, yeah. And it's sort of an interesting yeah. like meta narrative on like his career and like who he's played over, you know, and, he, and he's yeah. had such a weird, interesting, varied career. So I, I'm, I'm glad that he's like sticking around, you know, because he, I, I feel like they could have like shuffled him off, you know, because like what is, what purpose is he really serving? But maybe he'll get some big arc to play in this season. Um, I'm also very curious to see if Shannon Woodward's character, um, Elsie uh, comes back because she's kind of. I think we don't really know where she is at this point, right? Um, we we. I I guess I assume she was dead, but maybe not because she is credited for um, in in the yeah, second season. She's in the show, so I mean, I like I said, I you know, I I don't know exactly how the hows and wheres and whys, but even though it did leave on a cliffhanger, it's been confirmed, like in the press, that she is coming back. Good. So yeah, um, she's yeah, fun on it. I, I like her. I love her. I love her so much. Um, a couple other things, like uh, a few bit players from season one got serious upgrades for season two. So Tallulah Riley, uh, who plays, uh, you know, the sort of the the blonde intake host 
host who then like was sort of turned revolutionary um, by the end of the season last year. Uh, she's a series regular uh, and Lewis Hertham who played Abernathy, like originally Dolores's father. And then sort of that glitch, he had those like great glitching Shakespearean monologues yeah. and like that. So he's been upgraded as well. Uh, so I'm really, really excited to see them have a bigger, bigger roles to play. They've also added uh, Gustav Skarsgård. There is another Skarsgård brother. His name's Gustav and uh, he will be in the show. Wait, that, and, what, that, it, that he's the one from Vikings? Uh, I think he's in Vikings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah okay. I don't know. There's like nine Skarsgård Because if it's brothers, another so Skarsgård past the one in Vikings, then I'm going to like <laughs> rebel or something. Um, I don't know. <laughs> it's too many. Hashtag too many Skarsgårds. Um, and then Ferris Ferris uh, is another actor who uh, we, we will see in the, in the season. They're both series regulars, so we will see plenty of them. So um, I'm really excited. Uh, the, the big question, though, is like, can a Tallulah Riley, Lewis Hertham, Ferris Ferris, Gustav Skarsgård all fill the hole that's left by a Sir Anthony Hopkins? Like, you don't have a Sir Anthony Hopkins in season two. Does Richard, does that matter? Um, I think that it will be okay without Anthony Hopkins. I mean, I'm still grieving for Sidsa Babbitt Knudsen, um, who yeah. played Teresa, because I thought yeah. she, she, last season, she was my most favorite performance. Um, so, good. so I think that it's sad that she's gone. Maybe she'll come back as a, as a host, who knows? Um, but, um, I think it could survive without Hopkins, but I think that what the bigger question about Hopkins not being in the show is, is that like, because his character now has been killed kind of by his own design um, and the world of this, of the the thing has cracked open and there's a rebellion. And, and, and so we're not kind of in this contained mystery wherein it felt like everything was planned and sort of preordained, you know Uh, I'm, I'm wondering what the show looks like now that it has a sort of more open terrain to explore, like both physically and Mm -hmm. metaphorically. Um, And that has, you know, tripped up shows in the past like lost um when you know when they sort of do a big thing that expands the narrative um it's exciting at first but then they seem to not really know what to do with that expansion um i'm hoping that westworld can find a way to stay as kind of twisty and and you know compelling as the first season was um but so we'll see so i feel like in a way hopkins his character dying at the end of the last season was them sort of putting the first season's sense of scope to bed and i'm just curious to see if they can um now how how they'll handle the 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 new size and proportion of the show yeah you're right like because in lost i mean without getting too into lost if anyone's listening to this and hasn't watched lost you should watch lost but first you should watch westworld but um lost started get you started getting like the others and the tailies and the like you know you get you expand beyond beyond and beyond your your core crash victims on this island to get bigger and bigger and Westworld is going to do something similar in that they're introducing these they introduced one new world last season which is Shogun World uh, is what they're calling it and and uh, there will be a few more this season so yeah they are expanding and there are more possibilities there but um Jonathan Nolan did give an interview to Entertainment Weekly where he said he wanted to, quote, try and gently temper expectations and say that, like, mostly this season is still going to be Westworld, that they're going to do one episode, I think, in what's called Shogun World. Um, And he said, basically, we have a whole episode in Japanese. So we're going to, you know, stay tuned to see 
how everyone, critics and fans alike, react to an entire episode in Japanese of season two of Westworld. But it seems like for the most part, they're going to try to keep it like to the characters we know in the setting we know with some slight possibility for expansion, but not like lose control, which I think is what you're talking about. You want, you still want like a controlled narrative, controlled arcs, just because you are hugely popular and have a huge budget and HBO's like, go for it. Like, it's nice to sort of still feel like there's someone behind the wheel of the whole thing, you know? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And like, I think that that one of the joys of the first season was kind of realizing gradually that Hopkins's character was sort of, um, the one manipulating this and that he'd all sort of had this planned. And so you felt in a way taken care of, you know, Mm -hmm. you trusted that there was a sort of end goal and a sort of contained narrative. And now, I mean, this is always a problem for second seasons of television shows, you know, you know, even ones that are far less complicated than the show is, um, you know, I watching the first episode of the second season, I was like, okay, are we going to just be an, is this an action series now? I don't really know. So I think it'll be, it'll be interesting to watch as it goes. Um, I'm curious to see the other worlds, but I'm perfectly fine with it staying in Westworld. I, I watching the first season and then other, like some movies like slow West and, um, oh, and also the, the miniseries, um, uh, Godless on Netflix, I realized that I'm like actually a really big Western fan, which I never really oh. sort of knew that about myself until recently. Um, and so, so I'm 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 fine with staying in that kind of you know, uh, open ter- ter- vista kind of kind of world. I'm I'm fine with that. Yeah, it's funny. I grew up. I was not a Western fan growing up. Like we used to, my sister and I used to watch um, like American movie classics, which was Turner Classic Movies before Turner Classic Movies bought all the good old movies. We would watch old movies all the time. But anytime it was a Western, we had an agreement that you change the channel. Um, and so, like, I did not grow up on a diet of westerns. But there have been some more modern westerns, as you mentioned. You mentioned Slow West. Um, I love stuff like Three Ten to Yuma. Oh, it's a great uh, the, movie. The yeah. recent remake. Like I, I've gotten into the Western a bit more, um, you know, in in recent years. Um, but I don't I don't have the um, language of it uh, sort of in my bones the way that some people do. Um, that being said. Jonathan Nolan did do like a Reddit AMA recently where he mentioned a couple other influences outside of the Western genre that uh, we might want to look for in season two. He mentioned the Steinbeck novel East of Eden. Uh, So read that big book or watch the James D movie either way, guys, to prepare Uh, the auguries of innocence, um, which is a poem. Tarkovsky's stalker. And Piggy and Elephant, we are in a book, which is a kid's book. He and he and his wife, Lisa Joy, who co-created the show, have have small kids. So he was like, seriously, Piggy huh. and Elephant, we are in a book has influenced this. So that is a uh, that's like a Deadpool-esque uh, meta-narrative book where like we're aware we're in the book. So I don't know that Westworld's going to like break the fourth wall, but maybe. So, you know. Yeah. We'll and it's um, interesting that he mentioned Stalker because... Um, just last month, or I guess in late February, we had um, uh, the uh, Alex Garland film Annihilation, um, mm. which, uh, you know, based on a book, but like the movie is like basically a remake of Stalker in some ways. Um, Stalker is this really ar- already interesting Russian thriller from the 70s that like uh, is pretty impenetrable, but also, you know, kind of often cited as a master of its, of its, or, or a, a masterpiece of its form. Um, so yeah, so that I'll be curious to see because like, I guess there's just a lot of that floating, you know, something about right now about people navigating, you know, fraught, hellish, you know, 
hellscapes. Um, <laughs> right. I, I, for some reason, people are sort of feeling that vibe right now. I, I can't imagine why. Uh, right. Uh, I'm going to talk about that in one hot second. But like, before I get to that, I will say, yeah, let's all read a William Blake poem, Auguries of Innocence. Let's read a Steinbeck novel. Let's watch a Tarkovsky film. Let's read an Elephant and Piggy book and get ready for Westworld season two. I am all for extracurricular reading and homework. Uh, season one did have some really fun um, elements to it that for like this is something that the nolans do that i really that that works really well on me and not so much on other smarter people than i am which is like cultural nods <laughs> that i get really excited about that like maybe is pandering to like i don't know someone with a liberal arts degree or whatever but I, like when they drop shakespeare or i imagine william blake or they talk about you know um uh, certain paintings or include you know some wc music or something like that whatever it is i get i get really excited to talk about the use of that art within this um more like pop culture populist sort of show i i really like that so that might just be pandering to the snob in me um but to your point about w wandering hellscapes um when westworld season one aired uh, it aired in the winter of 2016, which is, uh, you know, a fall winter, which means uh, before Donald Trump was president. It was uh, the finale aired December 2016. So it was written and shot and released. I mean, released at least um, uh, under the shadow of Trump, but written and shot and like produced uh, in a Trump free world. And so this will be the first time we're, we're having to watch this show through the lens of Trump. And sometimes it can get really exhausting watching things through the lens of Trump. I feel like we watch everything through the lens of Trump now. And sometimes I wish like we didn't have to, but it's certainly something, you know, without getting too like polarizing and political necessarily, it's inevitable to, consider the way that our current America informs the America or whatever it is that they're trying to do uh, that the Nolans are creating. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I, it's, it's, uh, uh, there's a half of me that's like, Oh, like, you know, stop injecting everything with, you know, like, like something yeah. is things can just be things, you know, they don't have to like be a commentary on um, the woeful state of the world. But all, on the other half of me is like, but it's impossible not to. So like, might as well just try to lean into it and like get get from it what we can. Uh, exactly, exactly. Um, my last question to you, maybe before we wrap up, is um, Westworld the the promo for season two has done something so crazy. Um, leading up to what happened this week, they were already going kind of crazy in terms of like releasing they like HBO wouldn't just release a poster they would have all their actors tweet something and then uh if you follow the clues and figure out how to input that into a certain website it will release uh, a poster and buried in that poster is uh, like in the coding of that poster I don't even know how to access the coding of a poster but some reddit fans do there's a a code that leads to a link that leads to a video it's like all like layers deep they announced um they announced a major actor, Peter Mullen, who um, has, is, I think he's Scottish, right? A Scottish actor who has been in a million great things, Top of the Lake, you know, et cetera, et cetera. A great actor. I love him so much. He's got a huge role to play, it seems like, in season two. And they announced his casting, like, buried deep in one of these, like, follow the rabbit, you know, down the rabbit hole of code to an online announcement, uh, basically, of Peter, of Peter Mullen's character as, like, the 
owner of the Delos Corporation. Um, so all of that has been crazy. And it culminated in this like Reddit AMA that happened this week where Jonathan Nolan sort of uh, trolled, definitely not sort of definitely trolled his fans by saying like, hey, because of spoiler leaks and concerns about spoilers being passed off as theories, we're going to release um uh, the whole plot of season two in advance on a video uh, if this post gets a, a thousand upvotes on Reddit. Saying it to you aloud now, I understand that it sounds completely insane and of course it was made up, but like in the moment, um, I I believed it. HBO, I emailed HBO, HBO did not deny it. And so like I I definitely got suckered into this and then it was like a giant Rickroll yeah. troll. Uh, I was wondering if you had any thoughts on like this whole thing that happened this week in, in Westworld fandom. I mean, people seem really annoyed by it and I was just like, I don't know, like I, I don't have room to like be mad about stuff like that. I mean, I, I also like, um, I mean, this, this podcast is going to be an interesting test of like my engagement because like, because I'm so scarred by a loss, like I, I, I tend to sort of run away at the first sign of like something being like too complicated and and so i i could, could couldn't didn't really follow the whole like fake you know spoiler thing um because i was just like that seems like a lot to try to engage with um but this podcast is going to force me to engage with this stuff so um I, i'm i'm excited about that but also a little, a little a little nervous because um when i was deep in on lost like i was like deep in so yes um, <laughs> we'll see if i like lose myself to to uh to this show me too. I, I I think this is gonna be really fun. I I used to have like thirty minute at least debrief debrief phone calls with like a, a friend of mine uh, after every episode of Lost to like chase theories and like oh obviously well did you know that the crocodile god of the Egyptian culture is X Y Z and that means right. this on that on Lost I was deep so you know hopefully we'll all sort of you and I both will cling to reality uh, as much as we can and all this but yeah. it's fun to get a little a little bananas if it's fun to get a little bananas I think that the the important this is hard to do because we're not inside these people's heads the 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 trick is to not get deeper into it than the people writing the show are you know like right. like we right. thought that damon lindelof and carlton cuse were doing a lot of stuff that it turns out they weren't doing <laughs> you know so try, try i actually i uh here's here's my counter to that i don't mind going deeper than the creator, as long as you have like a really relaxed attitude about it. Right. Sure. You're like, wouldn't it be fun and crazy if it were this? And then if Lindelof and Cuse are like, no, bro, it's just this. You're like, okay, that's fun too. You know, it's when you get, uh, it's when one gets angry uh -huh. that the show isn't as complicated or whatever as your fevered brain has cooked up, uh, that I see the, the real problem. Yeah. Does that make any sense? It does. Uh, here, here is a, here's an example of that. Um, years ago, uh, like 2008, uh, I was, uh, I was like, okay, I got to read this Twilight book that everyone is is into. Uh, so I was reading it, and um, you know, she leaves Arizona suddenly to go live with her father in in northern Washington State. Um, she's clumsy all the time. She's, she keeps tripping and falling. Um, she meets this vampire, and she he, he, she's the only one whose mind he can't read. And there's something different about her. And I, I I said to my roommate who had read the book, I was like, I figured it out. She's like, what? I was like, so she was in some sort of accident in Arizona, and she like lost her leg, and so she's like he he she like she lost some part of herself, and so that's why he can't read her, you know, in her mind, and and that's why she's so clumsy. And my friend, my roommate was like, Richard. <laughs> 
just don't like that's that's way that's like insane like do not uh, you know afford this book that level of scrutiny um so yeah just calibrating things is important but also having fun about it because when i when i was proven wrong about my crazy bella thorn uh, not bella thorn bella swan yeah. theory um <laughs> i was i was frustrated because i was like but i'd invested so much into this idea so i'm going to try not to invest too much um like beyond just like I having a good time yeah, the 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 harshest uh, like bucket of cold water I ever got on a crazy fan theory was when I like wrote an elaborate, many, many, many pointed article about how I was convinced that Jon Snow and Game of Thrones is going to come back with the brain of a wolf, and then, and then Game of Thrones is like, no, yeah. <laughs> buddy. So yeah, you know that's that's a lesson learned, and just yeah, just to not get too uptight about any of this because it's all fun and it's all extra. Like the theorizing is just extra to a, a beautifully produced and well acted show that yeah. HBO and the Nolans are giving us. So. Um, and, but I'm really excited to do this with you, and I hope people will listen and write in with their own uh, fan theories. We'll, we'll figure out a sort of a way for people to get in touch with us. But in the meantime, where can people find you on Twitter? Rylaws, uh, R-I-L-A-W-S. And I will keep my, I will not spoil anything about Westworld on Twitter, but um, I will tweet about other things. Uh, I am at Joe wrote this. I will also try to keep my feed as clean as possible. Um, but I look forward to talking to all of you guys via this podcast, via Twitter, as we dive back into the world of Westworld and all of its twists and turns. We will see you in time for the season two premiere. These violent delights have violent ends.